Vivica Widow's Knock Knock, episode 25, narrated by Leo St. Paul. The ranch greeted a new guest, discreetly shown to the cappy's main den. The cappy was behind his desk making plans for what was to happen next. Owen Ranch, in the great state, was a much storied fortress of power. The Owen family had been a star state feature for generations, priding themselves on pioneering discoveries and using the wealth they had amassed to make their mark in the world. Their entrepreneurial spirit with the political ambitions made them a force. Being an Owen was more than having a family name. Their biggest asset was their propaganda machine. Their ownership of many news outlets was brought into call whenever one of their overindulged family members brought negative press upon them. Gerald Jerry Owen was one such user. After the attempted rape of Tabitha as a child, her Baroness Anne had caused such a backlash upon the Reverend Owen that all stories in the newspapers had to be shut down. The only ones allowed to circulate were those that suggested Tony was an alcoholic with serious mental health issues. Tabitha was a whore in the making who had been removed from so many schools no district would accept her. That's not to say there wasn't some truth to this. Tony did have a history of mental breakdowns and Tabitha led a violent life. But that was what the most effective propaganda was, wasn't it? Take a little truth and exaggerate it to discredit your opponent. The ones did that better than anyone. No one, not even the lawmakers, could compete on that level. They had the press including my own newspaper, the Colford Daily, and whilst they had the press, they had the public opinion. Public opinion won wars, and when that failed, there was always brute strength. There was another area in which the Owens were formidable. Money. They had it in abundance, and so anything could be theirs at a cost. The events in Colford, sir, are disheartening. I'm concerned it is too much of a distraction. His guest was a patient listener. He was a sprightly cat-like with a solid spine cut from years of discipline and manoeuvres. His name was Rud Van Holder. His purpose? His team were an anti-terror group called the Black Bands. They called Van Holder the Wrangler, and he had been known to bring order to parts of the world overrun by militants. Several dictating leaders had fallen at his hands. Enlisting the services of Van Holder was probably overkill for thug groups like Reginald Penn's loyalists and Paddy Mac's fleet. But the Cappy would take no chances when his family dynasty was at stake. Shameful, sure, Van Holder remarked, referring to Reginald's brutal slaying of Robert Bobby Owen. He scanned the room, detailing its contents. Whilst his eyes were elsewhere, his mind still remained on the task at hand. On a screen played Van Holder's curriculum vitae. Horse-mounted patrols cut through rioting crowds. Long-standing rebel leaders brought to their knees. His team were called the Black Bands. The Cappy didn't mind admitting that seeing them brought into action would be thrilling. This'll be quite a task you'll be undertaking. Van Holder lifted a whiskey glass from the chick's desk. It wasn't a used glass. It was purely for decorative purposes. On the glass was etched an image of the boat that brought Captain Henry Hen Owen to his monumental discovery. The Black Bands were born in the harsh jungles of southern Sabala. Taming large jungle cats was his specialty, but for Van Holder, any wild animal would do. They were expert in wrangling wild animals, and it would appear Colford had been overrun by wild animals for too long. The cappy smiled. He directed his son Buddy and his brother Ronnie to a public video of Van Holder, showing him with a lioness he named Baba. In the beginning, she was snarling, wild, and had taken swipes at him. 
She leapt upon him, but he managed to fend her off before she could wrap her great teeth around his skull. By the end, she was playing with her owner like she was no more than a house cat. Ronnie placed trust in following Doyle's command, but he returned with a range of emoji reactions that made little sense. Either way, the black bands were going to make their way to Colford, and like the weeping king of Kilmarrow, those responsible for the death of Anon would be brought to their knees. You brought me here because I'm the best, Van Holder had said. The very fucking best. The cappy hadn't made his name by searching for mediocre. You know who's to be brought to account, said Chick. I'll be following you in a week or so, but I'd like you to make your move quickly and dispatch with an alpha team immediately. He stroked his chin as he contemplated what was to come next. At this stage, we are merely looking at containment. Should anything spark, well, that's a barrier we'll break should it arise. In the meantime, on that table there is a blank check. Take it and find yourself whatever provisions you need. Van Holder turned to the table behind him. You're a determined man, he said. The cappy watched the confident bounce in Van Holder's step as he crossed the room and collected the open ink check. I'll see that it's put to good use, he said. Charles, check on, better known as the cappy grinned. I know you will. We're here at Starling Park for what promises to be a very tense game of football as Colford Athletic take on their fierce rivals, Colford City. Tensions are already high in the city with the Mac Distillery having closed its gates in Belfield and the city sponsoring Oxen House seized. We have a whole stadium here so those tensions are going to spill into the park and what promises to be in a very impressive game of football. I'm Peter Daly and with me here in the commentary box today is city legend Grant Miller. Can we expect the players to be putting in their full efforts today Grant, given what's been happening behind the scenes? I think we can Peter. City will be able to prove something today on the pitch and I don't think they will let what's happening with the auction house hold them back. A win today may be just what is needed to raise the city main spirits. Well, that's true, Grant. We have a lovely game of football ahead, and so let's do on the matter at hand. The players are lining up now. Athletic captain shakes the hand of the city skipper. They're showing some sportsmanship here today. There has been so much trouble in the past, it would be easy to let things get out of hand. It's nice to see the players setting an example for their fans. We need some solidarity in the game. Yeah, the spirit of football is alive and well, Peter. The city's supporters always have been a spirit of bunch, and let's just hope we can leave the trouble at the doors and enjoy the match. Statements have always been made through the stadium of Greater Colford, but this is one occasion where the fans may be best just to sit back, relax, and let the battle remain on the field. Now the error stick here at Startling Park as the players take their places. Sammy Conley, Athletic's golden boy, is looking super confident. I suppose he'll be hoping for an easy day at the office. Well, we'll be back in just a few moments for kickoff. Live from Startling Park, it's Colford Athletic versus Colford City. Late afternoon in the Doyle home in Kingsgate was quiet. Karen Doyle had turned the television on and settled into an armchair to watch. Her view didn't take her to Halffield Bay where Kingsgate Albion, her Sergeant Major Fowler's own team, took on the Islanders. Instead, her interest was drawn to the south of the city where all the trouble resonated. The city main team always brought trouble with them when they faced their main rivals at Startland Park. It was the first face-off of the two largest teams since the auction house had been seized. Mickey brought two cups of sweet tea. He laid them on the coffee table. He sat in silence watching his cousin's reaction. Sammy Conley of Athletic could be seen on screen patting his captain's shoulder with a good-natured smile as he took his place and prepared for kick-off. The judge lifted her cup and took a sip of the sweetness. Her eyes remained on the match, but her expression told nothing. Hope it all goes smoothly, Mickey commented. Why wouldn't it, was his cousin's reply. 
The cat Margaret suckled her on Cam's legs. It locked its glowing eyes on Mickey. She meowed and displayed her sharpened incisors. He lifted his cup and sipped just as Cam had done. The whistle blew and the ball was kicked. The clash between Colford City and Colford Athletic was always heated. Debate over the teams had led to the violent clashes in the past. Given recent events and the looming presence of the lawmakers, it made an already tense affair even more strained. Two of the largest teams would be battling it out on the football pitch. Fans of the other teams, such as Swanton Town and Bonton in the north, would be watching closely. The game itself would provide delightful sporting entertainment, but what drew eyes on this particular occasion was the talk of heightened security. It had all the makings of a great story. Back in my days studying journalism, I had the option of being a sports writer. A good friend of mine, Harry Corbyn, had done just that, and he followed the charitable athletic team closely, writing for the Colford Express and the Shanties. I asked his thoughts on it. He told me there was nothing like experience in the match firsthand. If I really wanted to see what all the fuss was about, I should take myself to Startling Park and get a good look. I had meant his views on security measures. I trust he knew this. Wanted to keep focused on the match, he didn't offer much insight on lawmakers' presence. Earlier that morning, I saw a couple of coaches leave from the front of Falls Park building in Maine. The city fans were chatting nervously. There were some smiles and excitement one might expect. However, I did notice the absence of the pens had left them a little sobered. I managed to stop one of the loyalists named Christian Ivor. He had exchanged his black belt uniform of the auction house for a city shirt. He was busy overseeing the fans gathering onto the coach. How are you feeling about the game? I asked him. Igor gave a cheery smile. Well, Sammy Conley is bound to cause some trouble. He's a great lad, but he always bloody does, he said. I was referring to the heightened security, I told him. Ivan brushed me off. Yeah, where are you? He turned to a couple of boys of about nine years old. They too were wearing city kits. Mum didn't want us going today, said one of them. She's worried there might be trouble. We wanted to see it, though. It's our first athletic game. Ivan tells her this here. Just stick with me, little man, he said. The two little boys skipped onto the coach. I suppose Reginald will be taking an interest, I put to Ivor. Ivor kept his composure. His Majesty has a lot to focus on right now, he said. If he were here, though, he'd want me and the lads to make sure that people get to enjoy the game. I suspected this was exactly what Reginald's instructions to the loyals at Falls was. It was early morning in the Star State. I'm going to be out of commission for a while. Hold all calls, Chick informed his executive assistant. She noted the orders. She was a beauty pageant girl, much like his wife. She too had been strutting around on stage in a bathing suit wishing for world peace. She was expertly trained in smiling, waving and following the instructions of coaches. She was the perfect PA. How long should I hold them, she asked. Until further notice. Yes, Captain. When the assistant skipped out to the office to see that her boss was left in peace, the cappy turned on his screen. The Colford City European football fixture between Athletic and City was going to be an interesting one. He had already received notice that Van Holder and his Alpha team had brought in hundreds of suspected loyalists, as well as Belfield fleet members. They had been making their presence felt too at the City main rallies in support of Reginald Penn. There was a lot of loyalty built in the city through a mutual love of the sport, so the soccer stadiums were a good place to start. Reginald Penn was still at large. He was still building a force in his support. 
A cold-blooded murderer couldn't be given much chance to flex his authority over City Main, not when there was a prominent spot available for the Owen assets. The score didn't matter. The winner of this game was always going to be the same. The game commenced. The cappy smiled. As I travelled from City Main down to the shanties, I listened to the game opening. Sammy Conley had scored a goal on the 11-minute mark. Through the radio commentary, the voices of the athletic fans could be heard chiming along to their rivals. I received a call from Harry Corbyn, who was already at the stadium. Where are you, Sam? he asked. I'm on my way now, I said. I'm going to try and get some views from the fans as they leave the game. You should come and see the game, Harry replied. He was yelling over the car phone with the noise of the stadium behind him. I wouldn't want to step on your toes there, Harry, I assured him. The sport report was your thing. I'm just keen on getting the story on the extra security everyone's been talking about. There were things in there. The atmosphere is rough, he admitted. I've been to tons of these matches. They always have the high-vis guys everywhere to make sure the banter doesn't spill into anything worse. The security been spread out then. Security? Something that distracted Harry caused him to question it. Uh, yeah, there's plenty of security around. We're being flooded out. The reception began to crackle. Harry? I called. Hi, did you see the security or were being flooded out? There was more crackling. When the reception returned, it was with an outcry from the stadium. It wasn't the cheer from a goal having been scored. It was a collective outrage of City and Athletic fans. I have to go, Sam. Harry came back to me. I'm getting ousted out. I'm being told to leave. Now the outrage was mine. They're shutting the press out. Who asked you to leave? Black bands. There's fucking black bands everywhere. Harry had closed the call abruptly. By the time I switched the radio to the game, it had gone to a couple of pundits. They were discussing there having been an altercation at the game, but the details were still incoming. There was talk of the game being called off. By the time I reached Startling Park, the fans were moving back out in a rush. It was chaos, and it hadn't even reached half-time. I'd arrived at the away end, where the coaches I'd seen earlier that morning were waiting. A woman was being led out, clutching a bloody face. The man who was with her was yelling at two black bands who were falling behind them. According to witnesses, the women had started yelling at one of the black bands who had shoved her teenage son out of the way. The black band gave no response and showed no remorse. The women became further irate. She wasn't the only one within the crowd. The city fans were being crowded unceremoniously by the new security. The black band still made no response. They did, however, assure their presence was felt. Eventually the frustration turned to fury as the women continued to call for an apology on behalf of her son. He was a mild lad. He never bothered anyone. She tapped on the black band's insignia, and that was when it all spiralled. The woman was cracked across the skull with a truncheon, heavily enough to put the woman into a daze. The other city fan responded on her behalf, yelling their objections. Now the black bands felt they had the cause to retaliate and shut the game down. There was a crush of city fans clashed between those trying to escape the onslaught and those rushing into it. On the pitch, the game had been halted. Sammy Conley called to the referee as city captain Philippe Lala and some of his players had rushed to the away stand. Just get in the coach, Ivor Woods instructed one of the little boys that had been with him earlier. He was carrying the other one. His arm was hanging loosely, definitely broken. Like a rush of war wounded, there were more bloodied football fans making their way towards the coach. More black bands were following them to oversee their leave. What happened? I asked Ivor. The young man looked little numb himself. Sammy Conley, he said. What a hero! What a hero! The boy in his arms cried out. Ivor tried to reassure him. You'll be alright, old man. We're going to get you to the hospital. What Sammy Conley had spotted was a little girl being crushed underfoot. 
as the city and athletic players combined their efforts to help those they could and try and bring some composure the athletic striker had left the barriers and pulled the little girl onto the pitch. More followed as the black bands pursued them onto the grass. The game had been a complete farce. There were mounted patrols of black bands everywhere. The horses they used were larger, sturdier than CPD riot patrols. They were war horses. The route leading to Starkland Park was filling fast. People had learned of the incident and came in search of loved ones. They hoped they'd not get caught up in it. I've never been in a war situation before. I'm not a military man, nor could I pretend to be. But as the crowd pushed around me, saying nothing, only expelling frosty breath, I got the sense of the kind of tension experienced before a first charge. The force was ill-equipped and outnumbered by their enemy. The click of horses' hooves along the freshly paved grounds of Startland were like the ticking of a bomb. One passed. A huge man they called Monster. There was an unbearable hush. Click. 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 A snort of the huge horse he rode. No one dared call to them. Live television had already entered homes around the city to show what the black bands were willing to do. Monster stopped his horse. I raised my phone, and he turned his gaze to me. Click. End of episode.